You're listening to the Tour Station Western League podcast with Ian Knockholz and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 37 of the Tool Station Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I am delighted to be joined on the line by Mr Tom Hiscott, the editor of the Tool Station Western League Bulletin. Hello, Tom. How are you? <laughs> yeah, doing well, thanks. Um, yourself? Yes, I'm very good. I managed to take my bad luck somewhere else at the weekend. Hey, hey. whereabouts? I, well, I was at the races. Ah, OK. Um, but not Wincanton. Uh, I was I was at Cheltenham, right? Where I'd gone to support um, Portsmouth every every year. I, I like to go and watch you know a Pompey game. Yeah, because yeah. That's it's where I'm from. I think it's very important to support your local team. Of course, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I go and support Devices for that very reason. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I, Pompey were playing at Cheltenham, and I thought, well, you know, let's let's go up there and let's give them a see how they're getting on. And of course, they managed to lose one nil. Oh. Blimey. But it was, um, yeah, it was, it was. That's there was a few enough. more people there than you normally see at a Western League game, to be okay. fair. Okay. Um, and it was, it was a very nice day. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of people were singing songs. Some of them were a bit rude. And uh, it, it always, always reminds <laughs> me why I, I only ever go and watch Pompey once a season. It's, <laughs> it's always so painful. But anyway, next season I should be doing it again Please somewhere. I'm sure. Support a good team like Plymouth, and then you'd be alright, wouldn't you? Oh dear me. <laughs> the old, um, what do they call that then? The uh, the dockyard derby. Nobody, nobody in the known calls it that, do they? Really? Well, they do. I was at the Dockyard Derby last season. I went to watch Port. That was my one game last season. I watched Port Plymouth against Portsmouth, and I think it was a draw. Well, there we go. So there we are. Anyway, the whole experience is indelibly etched on my mind. <laughs> um, but there we. Anyway, we won't go into that. No. <laughs> it might have been a stag do. And uh, that's where that's where, and that's where the story starts. Right. Anyway, um, uh, right. Episode thirty-seven. Yes, that was it. Um, on this week's edition, we do have uh, Shepton Mallet's manager, joint manager, Craig Loxton. He's uh, reappears um, on the on the podcast, and we hear from Alex Blake, the joint manager of Devizes Town. And I thought, well, on the rare occasion at Devizes Triumph, we really do need to get the manager or the joint manager on. And um, and let me know what I missed on uh, on Saturday. Um, so those are the two interviews we've got for you um, this week. In all seriousness, actually, Alex Blake is a coach who uh, really thinks about the development of youth. And recently on the podcast, you know, we've had a lot of managers, particularly in the first division, who've talked about the importance of sort of bringing younger players through. And Alex provides quite a lot of interesting context to that. I think it'd be a really interesting interview. Certainly, I've always really enjoyed my conversations with Alex on that on that subject. And um, I think I'd really like to think that plenty of people in the Western League will find his comments thought provoking. But before we get there, we will talk about the fixtures on Saturday, the 9th of April. And we are going to kick off with the Premier Division clash between our league leaders, Tavistock and Bitten. Now, of course, Bitten haven't been uh, the Bitten of old, I think it would be fair to say. And um, Tavistock took full advantage of that on Saturday, Tom. Yeah, they did. Once they once they finally got ahead, uh, as you say, Bitten not not the uh, not the force we potentially expected this year, but still, yeah, probably on on paper, not an easy place to 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 go when you when you're desperately chasing points as Tavistock obviously are. But uh, yeah, once uh, well, a goalless first half, but uh, once they went ahead, uh, pretty soon after the interval from long range by uh, Warren Dorr, pretty special goal. 
Um, uh, yeah, they didn't really look back. Uh, he then turned provider, crossing for, for Dan Evans, who made it 2-0 pretty soon after. Uh, and then it was Liam Prynne, uh, a name obviously we know very well. A couple more goals for him. And uh, yeah, taking his tally, well, to, to even higher numbers this year. Uh, but yeah, 4-0 win for Tavistock. And uh, yeah, they, um, yeah we'll, we'll discuss the league tables later, but it was uh, an important result. Yeah, they've cemented their place at the top with that mm. impressive result. Our next game is a much tighter affair between two titans fighting it out at the top of the Premier Division. Exmouth Town were at home. Bridgewater United were the visitors. 401 people saw this, uh, Tom. It was the biggest home gate uh, of the uh, of the weekend. And, um, well, the home fans would have gone home happy. Yeah, they will have. I think, yeah, biggest gate in the, the biggest game of the day, really, isn't it? Uh, Exmouth... Another one chasing the title, and uh, yeah, they came up well. Bridgewater were as well, uh, but probably, probably now a little bit out of the race. Uh, yeah, uh, a one-nil win for Exmouth, a tense one-nil win. Uh, Thirteen minutes from time, they finally went ahead. Uh, Levi Landrukum scoring the the crucial goal, and uh, yeah, giving them the all three points. So yeah, as you say, a, a big, uh, big, big home performance and a big, uh, big crowd to enjoy that one. Now, Saltash United, they've been going well in the top half of the table, came across Shepton Mallet, one of those sides that goes under the radar, but one of those teams that I never tire of talking about on the podcast because we always know that they're going to be competitive. Mm -hmm. They've been on a very good run of form, Tom. I didn't realise before the research I did for my interview with Craig Loxton just how good a run of form, and that form continued on Saturday. Yeah, I think if I've... Yeah, likewise, I did a little bit of... Looking on the weekend, I think this is a sixth win uh, on the bounce in the league. So, uh, yeah, fantastic result again for, for Mallet. Uh, leapfrogging uh, Saltash in the table up into up into fifth spot after this win. 3-1 uh, uh, they won. And uh, that was uh, only a late uh, consolation getting uh, Saltash on the board in all seriousness. So, yeah, pretty, well, pretty, um, yeah, pretty fine uh, all-out performance from, from Mallet. Yeah, went ahead pretty pretty quickly uh, through uh, through Josh Williams, uh, and then it was Joe Morgan. He's really found uh, found his shooting boots recently, uh, and he he scored pretty soon after to make it make it two nil. Uh, and then and then it was Jacob Sloggett. Uh, he's uh, yeah, another player seems to be seems to be pulling up trees at the moment. Beat a couple of defenders before uh, slotting the ball in the back of the net, uh, made it three nil. And uh, yeah, as I say, uh, Saltash did get one late on, but uh, yeah, nothing to nothing to derail Shepton Mallet at the moment. Well, I think Saltash in their first season back in the Western League have made um, a, a really fantastic contribution. They have been competitive. So I started my conversation with Craig Loxton by asking him how he found them on Saturday. Yeah, we expected a really tough game against Saltash Saturday. Um, we started really well, which we have done um, done a lot lately, scored within the first sort of 15 minutes, which which sort of settled everyone down, and then I think we we went on really to have a really complete performance. You know, we we're scoring a lot of goals at the moment. I think it's another game where our our front three have scored. Um, obviously, not really looking like we're conceding much, and it was just all round a, a very good performance. So I was really pleased. Yeah, that's a really interesting um, statistic actually, because the last time you only managed to score two. Um, was back in March. I mean, you've been scoring three goals in your last four matches, and before that, you scored five. So, so what? I mean, what, what's the what's the secret to the um, to the goal scoring exploits? Um, I think probably down to just sort of players hitting form at the right time. You know, we've we've always sort of had had chances in the game. It's just sort of you know players getting on on that run of, of converting them, and, and and at the moment, you know, we've we've got a lot of players, especially our four players that are. 
that are in really good form, which I think um, which which only bodes well for the team. And you know, we're we're creating three, four, five really good chances in the game, and and, and they're taking them. And you know, a lot of the players now, our striker Joe, I think he's now scored seven in his last seven games. Jacob Slogger has scored obviously as well the last three or four games. Josh Williams has got four and four, so you know it, it's, it's it's a really good moment for them. I think that that sort of um, started that sort of good run that they've all been having. Well, their good run has coincided with your good run, isn't it? Because the last time you lost was on the 19th of February, and that was against Clevedon, and you, and you put that right earlier this month. So do you put that all down to your goal scoring exploits, or have you? Um, you know, is it a sign of sort of a more all-round performance um, from Shepton Mallet? Yeah, I think that that Cleveland game where we actually lost. You know, I'm not making no excuses. We weren't very good at the day, but we we were sort of sort of a patched-up team. And I think we sort of we sort of had a few sort of home truths really, and sort of looked at it then and thought we weren't we weren't at it, and we needed to be a lot better, and sort of made that aware to the players. And to be fair, since then, you know, like you said, we've. We've got we've been on a great run and and we sort of had that momentum and we always we always say that to them they got a sort of whilst you've got it keep it and 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 they just sort of grew and grew and grew and and just got better and better really as as, as the games have gone on and you know we look a real real outfit at the moment so hopefully we can continue that for our last two games. Yeah, you're fifth in the league at the moment. Um, are you chasing a, a fourth place finish? Is that the target now? Um. I'm not sure. I think I think that might be just just too much ahead of us. I think obviously we saw Ash have got got a game game in hand on us. I've looked at their running. Not that not there's any easy games. It might be say on paper tougher than ours. Um, but obviously we've got Bridgewater a good Friday away. I think if, if we we got a game in hand on them, so in this their last game. So if we beat Bridgewater Friday, we go ahead of them, and obviously they can't catch us. So I think if we can get sort of fifth fifth, that would be a that would be a brilliant, brilliant season for us. But like I said, we'll just we'll just take one game as it comes, and we know if hopefully we can carry on the good form. And if we look a little bit further up the table, do you think Tavistock have done enough now to win the league? Yeah, I think they have. Yeah, I think over the last, well, I say the last two, three seasons, the ones that we've, ones that we didn't get to complete, I think overall they, they deserve to win it. To be honest with you, I think they they have been the standout team. You know, the league table doesn't lie, and they're there because of obviously their performances and they've got a really good group good management so I think they do deserve to um, they deserve to go up and I'll, I'll be surprised if they if they drop drop any points now um, in the running and what about that battle for second because you're going to have a big say in that aren't you because you've got Exmouth as your last home game this season yeah it's, it's, it's going to be interesting between Mausel and um, Exmouth um, obviously I think they drew they drew the game not long ago Um but yeah, we've got them last game. I, th- I think a lot of people will probably be rooting for um, uh, for us to to beat Exmouth to try and get uh, Miles out of the league due to the travel. But you know, I think we're we that won't be our plan. We'll be trying to take points off Exmouth on that last day. But it would certainly be interesting between those two. I'm not too sure. To be honest, you, I think it's neck and neck. I think they both got some tough games, and I think you know whoever can sort of not drop any points everywhere is obviously going to do the business but I can't really choose a winner to be honest with you at the moment out of those two I guess that the real critical question then for you is uh, about your aspirations next season I mean do you think you, you've done extraordinarily well with, with Shepton Mallet and uh, you know it's been a pleasure talking to you over the years that we've, I've been doing the podcast do you think now that you can take Shepton on to that next level do you think that next season you can be competing with the likes of Mausel and Tavistock and uh, and Exmouth. That's a good question. I think it's 
it's always the difficult one with Shepton Mallet. You know, we're sort of, we are a really good club. I think it's just how we bridge that gap now to get to those top teams. Like, if you look at this year, it's probably been the, the toughest league the Western League's actually ever been. And we're probably only, what, sort of 10, sort of 10, 12, 15 points away from that top. So it's sort of how do we, how do we get those points back? Um, so I think, like, you know, we're going to have to sit down with the club in the next couple of weeks, see, see what their plans are lay out obviously what myself and Derbs what our plans are what we want to do and see see where we go from there but obviously you know, from our perspective from the management you know we do want to push on we are ambitious and Shetland's a great club and you know they, they've got everything in place there to really to really push forward it's just obviously getting it right on the pitches and as such to make us that team you know because I think over the last four or five seasons we're proven we are you know we are a top team in that league but you know we want to where can we go? Like you say, we do want to push on and, and obviously it's going to be tough, you know, because every team will strengthen and we're probably going to need some more resources from somewhere, but it's finding that balance of getting that right. But yeah, ho- hopefully we can we can have some good, um, good conversations and, and we see where it takes us. Because that game against Bridgewater you've got coming up on um, Good Friday, I mean, that's away, isn't it? So hopefully you'll be, you know, well supported by your travelling fans. Bridgewater, of course, have been getting some really impressive gates. So well, it's one of those big games that, you know, I'm sure managers like yourself want to you wanna play in. Will you be able to enjoy um, this sort of run into the end of the season? Or, you know, is it heart-in-the-mouth time? You don't want to drop any points. You want to. I know you want to finish as, as high as you can, but to come up against two of the best teams in the... Uh, in the Western League, uh, it's going to be really, really exciting for the fans. Yeah, it is. They are, they are well followed Bridgewater, and, and we actually travel well. You know, we get a good, good following, and I think you know it's, it's not that far from Shepton, so I expect we'll, we will have a few fans down there ourselves on on Friday. But yeah, it is, it is those games at the moment. To be honest with you, personally, like uh, for myself, we're really enjoying the games at the moment because. You know, obviously, that's easier when when you're on a good run like we are. But I think we're a match for anyone, and I think you know we it helps that that Bridgewater um, obviously got through against us last week in the um, in the Les Phillips quarterfinal on penalty. So it has that little bit of edge that we want to sort of get one back at them on that resort. But yeah, it's, it's something that we're looking forward to, and, and it's always nice to play in front of a good crowd. Hopefully, there'll be a few more given us the the bank holiday weekend, and yeah, something we're looking forward to. And my thanks to Craig for his time. Now, one last match to talk about in uh, in the Premier Division on Saturday, a four-goal thriller. Wellington were taking on the other team to be chasing the uh, the top spots. It's Mousel. And um, I think, Tom, Mousel have got the yips. Yeah, it seems like it. Um, yeah, they've dropped a couple of points in this one, didn't they? A two-all draw away at Wellington for them. And, uh, yeah, they were, well, very much in position to, to gain maximum points. Uh, Callum McConey scoring twice at the end of the first half. Two goals in the space of three minutes or so, uh, yeah, put them in, put them in command really. Um, but uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't to be for them. Unfortunately, Wellington managed to, to fight back and, and grab a grab a point. Uh, it was Jordan Casey uh, on the hour mark, uh, making it making it two one. Uh, and then yeah, yeah, they got their their equaliser about ten minutes from time, uh, and that was Jake Quick. He's uh, yeah, another <laughs> seems to be a lot of players I'm picking out that are on good runs of form recently. So uh, ending the season on a high, and uh, yeah, he did well with a, a pretty. Pretty smart poke finish, uh, yeah. As, as I say, pretty late on, and uh, yeah, grabbed a grabbed a point for Wellington, and unfortunately for Mousel, a little bit of a slip up. 
If you're thinking, Toolstation, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a tool station near you. Now, moving on to the First Division, and we kick things off with the Battle of the Bishops, and this was a comprehensive uh, victory for the Bishops of Sutton. <laughs> it was, yes, uh, a 3-0 win for them uh, away, away at Lydiard. So, uh, yeah, there's quite a few away win, uh, wins in the First Division on, on Saturday, and, uh, yeah, this was one of them. Uh, Mason Dagger getting the ball rolling for them after less than a minute, so they really did... Uh, did fly out the blocks, uh, but and yeah, that really yeah set the tone, didn't it? And they didn't really look back. Jacob Bird and then Tom Francis, uh, another couple of goals uh, for those two, and uh, yeah, three 0 win, and uh, yeah, really good, really good um, end to the season for Sutton continues. Now we move on to Longwell Green Sports, where the visitors would devise his town. Tom could devise his fare any better without me watching them. <laughs> it seems so, yeah. Uh, a victory for them at last, uh, a 2-1 win uh, away uh, away at Longwell Green, and it actually helps them uh, in their in their fight to stay off the bottom of the table. So I think they've uh, they've cut the gap uh, to Lydiard, who obviously we just mentioned who uh, suffered defeat on the weekend. Uh, but yeah, 2-1 win as I say for for Devizes, uh, and that was goals from Will Fowler and Jack Smith, uh, and it was against a side who they played played pretty recently about a month or so ago, and they lost 5-2. So a great turnaround from from your boys, and uh, yeah, good win. Uh, on that sort of rare occasion when we can celebrate a Devizes Town win, I thought it would be a great opportunity to hear from the other half of the managerial partnership um, at the town. And we heard earlier in the season from Trevor Rawlings. Uh, today we hear from Alex Blake, who's the uh, the other joint manager at um, at Devizes. Now, normally, of course, uh, for those people who listen to the manager interviews on a regular basis, you'll know that when we speak to a manager for the first time, I like to finish the interview by getting a bit of background. But uh, on this occasion, I started the interview by asking Alex Blake to tell us about his journey to the Devizes Town dugout. Bit of a mixed bag, really. I'll, I'll just focus on the coaching side. I mean, um, very much from a, a coaching background. Um, I don't hide that. It's actually something that that I um, that is me. You know, I'm interested in the training ground. I'm interested in working with players, and so that my, my background reflects that. Um, originally, you sort of stop playing, and you think, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get involved with any of this. Is let my kids play, and, and slowly I got roped into picking cones up by um, a hugely uh, impressive person called John Murphy at FC Chippenham Youth who looks after all the younger age groups um, and brings in a succession of coaches year after year and those people are the gold dust the grassroots football as far as I'm concerned so first huge influence was John and, and from there I kind of just sort of went with the flow and got encouraged to carry out more um, or pursue my, my education my coach education um, through some level two working in I'm working in development centres um, I then uh, I was lucky enough to be appointed in a, a part-time role by the FA as a coach mentor, working with grassroots coaches, uh, which is a fantastic role that unfortunately no longer exists. But that, that was that really enabled me to, you know, progress my thoughts and my philosophies working with other people because um, mentoring is very much a two-way thing. So I love that. Um, did my FA Youth Award, did my B licence. Uh, work at started work at Southampton Academy where I still am as well at the moment. 
and then sort of dip my toe into, well, was asked to help out uh, into adult football and the timing was right. I mean, this is over a decade and I should stress, you know, it's a good 12 years since I did my level one uh, qual. So, yeah, it's a long, long time learning. Um, and I was given opportunity by Sam at, at Wooten Bassett to help in there, um, where I wasn't good enough, but I learned loads. And then I know Trev from from well, years and years, really, and Trev sort of asked me to go into Cowan to work with him and Ben, uh, which I did in the COVID hit years. And, and then I've ended up at Devizes when uh, when we left Cowan and then a phone call came and we thought we'd uh, come and try and help and turn the club's fortunes around. So that that's a long waffle from me, but that, that's it in a nutshell, really. Well, I think the academy side of things, notwithstanding the club that you're involved with, which we won't talk about, but um, the academy side of things is going to be relevant perhaps later on in the, in the discussion. Um, however, before we get on to that, I wanted to have a chat with you about Saturday's game. That's obviously the main reason we wanted to get you on, because Devizes Town did um, did win at the weekend. You beat Longwell Green 2-1, um, um, which only confirms to me that I'm probably the reason you lose so many games, because, of course, when I wasn't there, you won. I was at a game between Portsmouth and Cheltenham, and Portsmouth lost. So the one common denominator in that is me. Um, so I'll take that. I'll take that responsibility completely. But could you, uh, obviously, because I didn't get to the game on Saturday, could you just talk me through our performance? Yeah, we'll do it. And and to be fair to you, Ian, you're neither picking the team, setting them up, or playing. So I, you know, don't feel too bad about yourself as a common denominator. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, over the last sort of six to eight games now, we've been we were really just focusing as a group on performances because the league table was what it was. And we needed to simplify things in the group about, you know, what success might look like for us, irrespective of the result. So this is, you know, the performances have been good over the last half a dozen games or so. Um, and the frustrating thing is that we genuinely, genuinely haven't picked up the points we should have done. Whereas we've had a month or so over Christmas and January where, we weren't creating. We're under the cosh. We just weren't. Whilst whilst we were in games, we we were we were hoping rather than believing, I suppose. And I think once you get a spark and you you, you kind of um, simplify, like I said, simplify things. We we start to create chances, and and we've created enough chances to win probably every game we've been in, certainly since Sherborne, I think. So we've been quietly improving our form, even if the points tally doesn't quite represent that. If you, if um, if that makes sense. Um, we've also been hit by, you know, like, like a lot of clubs have with the COVID situation. And, um, you know, that, that sounds like I'm looking for sympathy. I'm not. You've got to get on with it. But it, it doesn't. The adage, it never rains, but it pours, does seem to <laughs> apply to us at the moment. Um, so, look, I mean, where I'm getting to on that is that it was no surprise to the group. And the change room was was, was interesting afterwards. And in it wasn't like, oh, it's our first win for months and everybody's, you know, over exuberant. It was just kind of, well, yeah, we, you know, we can get results like this. We just haven't done. So, you know, fair play to the boys. They, you know, it's all about them. You know, I'm not, you know, me and Trevor are accountable 100% for the position we're in and the results we've had. All we know is that the group, the change room have been fantastic and they stayed with us and stayed with themselves. And I'm just so pleased they got three points on the board because they deserve it. I'm assuming from that then you were you were uh, happy with the performance. I mean, 2-1 obviously sounds like it was pretty tight. Is that the way the game played out? Yeah, and most games have been tight. I mean, it's, what I say about the performances is it's um, we've had many games, probably four or five games, where we've just been the wrong side of it, whether by losing by the odd goal um, or drawing a game that we probably should have nicked. Um, so on the performance-wise, I think actually it probably wasn't the strongest performance across the 90 over recent weeks. The second half in particular 
we were hanging on. And yeah, and I understand that with the players. We're trying to get our, me and Trevor trying to get them at the pitch and trying to, you know, try and be confident on the ball and secure it and try and have a spell and, and try and control the game. But um but yeah, the second half was 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 grit, determination, trying to, you know, not make mistakes and make life difficult for a long while. So yeah, strangely, the performance wasn't as good as the 90. But the first half, um, look, we set them up, we're on 3G. And interestingly enough, Trevor and I have always earmarked that game going, with the side we've got and the attributes of our young players, we we, we sort of thought, actually, we'll go down now, we'll give them a game. You know, we can get the ball down and play. And that was how it turned out first half. Albeit we went 1-0 down after two minutes again, which is, um, yeah, we, we don't have to concede it key times you know if there's a whistle just gone or coming we seem to concede um so um yeah all that prep um and we go to uh, one or down after two minutes but but it didn't change anything it's like you know we had a plan this is how we're going to do it this is how we're going to play out and and then we got back in the game firstly with uh, a fantastic strike from will fowler um who said to me in changing beforehand he said i'm going to get I'm due a goal for you, Blakey. I'm going to get a scruffy tap in, you know, he said to me. So uh, we joked afterwards that was his scruffy tap in, which was sort of 25 yard hit into the top corner. So I'm really pleased with Will. Um, he's played well the last few games. And then we really threatened just with little combinations in the front two. And, and we sent Jack Smith, and, you know, our 17, another 17 year old playing up front, um, who took his goal really well. Um, should have had a third on half time as well, Jack. But, you know, the young lad is doing fantastic. He, he makes great runs and. Um, no matter what happens this year, you know, there's a handful of those young players that, that are going to go higher than this. And um, I know that's no consolation to, to the club or me, but, you know, hopefully for those young, young, those young lads, um, they can be really pleased with their progress. So pleased for Jack as well. I'm really pleased to hear you say that because um, the success of our under-18 side has has been a standout in you know in in, in yet another difficult season for the club. And I, I you know you, you mentioned you know 17-year-old Jack Smith, the goal scorer there. The under-18s have been a really important part of the first team um, this season. They've been an important part of the group that you've been uh, that you've been working for. And actually, what's interested me in recent weeks in my conversations with managers, including actually the manager of Longwell Green, is that a lot of sides are now talking about bringing younger players through. I think it's step six, perhaps where you know we don't have the resources, where you can't pay the players what they can get paid further up the pyramid. Um, bringing a, a good quality uh, group of young players through is really important. Radstock Town, I know, have got um, a really proven track record of, of doing the same thing. But because of your academy background that you were talking about at the start of the interview, obviously working with younger players, particularly 17, 16-year-olds, which you've had to do this season, does bring with it some challenges, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And in terms of how we've done it at Devizes, there is a, a perception with some that we've been possibly exploiting them um, because we've had to. And I think as Trev might have said to you on the last chat you had with him, that that, that hasn't been the case. We've, we've got to know the players and understand the ones that we feel are ready. And I'll come on to that in a second, what I mean by that. But but there's actually been phase. So you take Jack Smith, I just mentioned, um, you know, Jack's only come into the first team phrase sort of after Christmas. So when we, I knew what he could do, but he wasn't, he was quite low in himself anyway when we arrived at the club. So it was very much go and play for under 18s, go, go and go and enjoy your football, go and keep learning. We're watching you. You know, me and Trev watch every single under 18s game. So we know what they're doing. We know the players um, that are involved with that squad. Um, Jack's joint top scorer, I think, with Caleb in, in the under 18s league, not just advise it. So he, he, you know, he's been doing very well. 
Um, so it's all about the timing. Um, conversely, Danny Bowyer and Jack Farring have been involved with us since since the, the day we arrived. And, and that's on Jack Crossing goal as well. And that's down to looking at the lads and understanding where they are in their development. Um, it's not just physical. I think when you look at football at this level, people talk a lot in about we want to grow the youth and, and, you know, lots of committees like the sound of that. And people say, yeah, we're going to have a pathway. But my frustration is, well, my question is, what do you mean by that? What, what does that look like in practice? Uh, and what it means is you need to, you can't treat them like adults because they're not adults. They're still growing physically and mentally. You know, as, as men, we don't mature physically or mentally till our early 20s. And and so we're all at different rates of, of that development. So some are earlier, some are later. And I'm by no means an expert. And I'm not going to sort of come here and lecture saying, oh, you know, I, I know how to do this. I seriously don't. But what I am alive to is is those little things you, you need to really look at and talk to the lads and understand where they are. So, you know, how you manage them, how you, where you play them as well. I see Managers bring young players in and play them out of position, for example, because they go, wow, I can't put a 17-year-old in centre midfield in the Western League. Well, if that's where they play, they're either ready to play there or they're not, in my view. You know, we don't put them somewhere they're uncomfortable. You put them somewhere they are comfortable. Secondly, you have to accept that nothing's going to be perfect. Nothing's perfect anyway, but you need to... A senior player may make a mistake and will we'll understand why, because they've been in that situation a number of times. They know I should have made that decision. It's a wrong one. Hands up. Um a younger player hasn't had those pictures, those experiences. They haven't been in that situation on a pitch where you're hanging on at 2-1 at Longwell Green when you haven't won for months. Uh, and it's, you know, the last five minutes, what do I do? Um, so you've got to go with it and, and you've got to not get show frustration with them. You've got to help them and you've got to explain to them. So my, my kind of phrase I use to Trev is you can't, you can't criticise players in a change room if you haven't been clear yourself about what you're looking for. And we can't cover everything in a training session a week and on a Saturday. So it's a bit of give and take. So there's lots of things in that mix here. And, and you know, I have quite clear views on what development is or a pathway is. And, and I'll be blunt, not many clubs get it right at the Western League level just yet. But I don't mean that to be controversial, but we just don't. We just pick the lads that we think are ready. They go and score some goals. Go, look at him. He's good. But there's loads we might be losing. So what are we going to do about those lads? You know, that's that's the key. Because one of the challenges of playing, in, you know, we're obviously talking about men's football. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting when we actually get into the detail of the, the legalities around what constitutes an adult male footballer and what constitutes a sort of a junior footballer um, under the age of 18. The, 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 I mean, you're talking about that from a development angle, but there is... There, there is a duty of care aspect to this as well, which does manifest itself in a changing room where you can have men, you can have men in their thirties um, sitting alongside somebody that is technically a, you know, a, a child. And so, I mean, is that something that is, you, you know, you've also given thought to um, over the course of this season? Um, yeah, it, it's something that is actually a big issue for, for me and is at the forefront of everything I do really. Um in, in the sense that you've got, um, you know, you, you use the phrase men's football there. I, I mean, the FA's technical term is open age, which tells you something itself. Um, legally, any uh, uh, person who is uh, under the age of 18 or before prior to their 18th birthday is a child by law. So, you know, the law doesn't discriminate between a six-year-old and a 16-year-old in that respect. So your behaviours towards them have to reflect that. The, the FA... Um, safeguarding information that's out there. There's about 100-odd 
guidance notes out there on the, on the FA website. You can look at, you've got your safeguarding course, which is is not a lot of money, uh, just to understand, you know, the, how how to create that positive and safe environment for, for children in a changing room. And, you know, for me, that's so important because it's not just about, look, the most important thing with any event that happens in this world is that people go home again safely and and for me, from a performance perspective, I have to make it an environment where it's, it is safe and positive and they come back and don't run away. Because I'm telling you, for every player that's come through into men's football early, you've probably lost five or six because the environment wasn't right for them at that time. So, yeah, it's really is sort of a hot topic for me. And it's something that, yeah, OK, I've got a little bit of knowledge from it from, from where I, get, I work and where I coach elsewhere. But... I very much carry that into the change room, and some of the senior lads have really bought into that as well. You know, it's and it's tough for them because they just want they work all week, they want some banter. Yeah, you can cross the line, and and you know, and you can take it possibly if you're older. But you know, when you're talking about verbal abuse, physical abuse, bullying, um, yeah. well, there's a line, and the line isn't always clear. But if you've got a bit of experience and knowledge as a coach and a manager who was responsible ultimately for that environment, at least you can see it and you can go, look, hey, let's wind it in a bit or you're right, mate, you know, you're okay with that. And you go, yeah, yeah, okay, brilliant. So it's about being alive to the signs, Ian, and being conscious of it that's important to me. What this comes down to is that a lot of the leaders in our clubs, um, they're going to be, you know, particularly the managers, let's start, let's let's just go with, with that for now. They're going to be people of your generation who, when you were the players' generation, society's values were different, let alone the, the legal structures that we're, that we're operating in, 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 in terms of sport. So that is a consideration, isn't it? This idea that, that, that we've, we've behaved a certain way, we've done it a certain way in terms of the way that we've run our football clubs. Mm. We have to be alive to the idea that society has moved on and the way that we interact with each other and other individuals has moved on as well. Yes, and I think that you know, society always evolves naturally and there's externalities you can't control. I would also say when it comes to football and sport, the safeguarding uh, processes that we now have in place are are a consequence of lessons learned as well, and some quite yeah. grave ones, all right? So the fact that this wasn't in place 20, 30 years ago isn't a victim or a consequence of society changing. It's actually we got it wrong back then. It was wrong. And we allowed, uh, you know, we enabled things to happen that shouldn't have happened. Um, and I think if you look at it now, it's a really difficult crossover and transition between youth football and open age football, to use that phrase again. Because for me to work in an under-18s league or under-16s league or in youth football as a licensed coach, I will need to have my DBS check and my FA safeguarding up together, which is a, a course you renew every three years. Should be more in my view, but that's proportionate from the FA's point of view, which I respect. Um, why is it then that child doesn't change? So I could coach a child on a Thursday night in the floodlit league, and I have to have all those safeguarding uh, certificates and, and watermarks to show that you know I'm, I'm able to work with children. But on a Saturday, I don't. That's that can't be right to me. I don't. I can't reconcile the two. Um, I'm sure there's people listening to this that say, oh, I'm adding, I'm adding a layer of sensitivity or bureaucracy to something that doesn't need to happen because we've never done it before. But just as a matter, as a fact, as a factual point, if a child, if I'm working with a child and in a changing room with them and on a training ground, why is there a difference between Saturday and Thursday? Because there isn't. That child hasn't changed. And in fact, you will argue that working in an open age environment with adults is even more high or could be higher risk than when they're in their own peer group. 
I'm being quite fast and loose there because lots of things can happen within a peer group as well. You've got to be alive to. But I think you take my point, Ian, that mm. I think we all have a responsibility. And j just to follow that stream of consciousness to a close, you've got people who talk about, well, it's for the FA to deliver and the county FA to deliver in terms of safeguarding and, and the enforcement of it. Well, yeah, our, you know, as our statutory body, the FA creates that policy environment. You know, the county FAs deal with, with the regulation of it. But then you've got your leagues, your clubs, and right down to your individual. So, you know, individuals are responsible for safeguarding. So for me, it's that whole, is it a pyramid? I don't even see it. I think we're all equally accountable for making sure abuse doesn't happen and children can develop in a safe football environment to become the players we want them to be. Alex, I know that this is a topic close to your heart and I appreciate... Um you know your thoughts on the matter this is probably a little bit deeper than we normally go on the tool station yeah sorry well no don't <laughs> apologize because i'm the one asking the questions and i think that i think it's it's an important consideration for um you know for every um for everybody in the in the game to 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 um to reflect upon um i am before we before we um close i am going to go back to the football because we've got the small matter of a Wiltshire derby on Good Friday. We've got El Multico coming up and with our near neighbours, uh, Warminster Town. Now, of course, we've already lost to Warminster twice this season, but are you one of those coaches that subscribes to the idea that when we have a derby game, the form book goes out the window? Because I'm a coach and I'm boring in, uh, no. Because, <laughs> because Warminster, I look at things pretty um, pragmatically and Warminster have been a fantastic side all year. Uh, I think Andy's done a great job this year with his pragmatism as well. He never gets too high or too low, Krabby. And but there's no doubt that Warminster have performed consistently over nearly 40 games. So you have to respect that. And they've got some fantastic footballers over there. So it doesn't change for me that one. Um, yes, we need to we need to go and compete and we need to go and get points um, because there's a lot on the table for us. Just now the door is just slightly ajar if we can keep our foot in it. Um, but in terms of the team we're facing, not a lot changes. You know, we're, we've got to go and um, we've got to outperform and we hope that we'll almost have an off day because all things being equal, they're a very strong team. So there's a little insight of how, you know, there's no emotion in our changing room just for the sake of it. It's got it's got to have a little bit of thought process. Like, gentlemen, you know, we, we've got a job to do here and this is how we're going to go and do it. Now now go and get a motive and let's go, let's go and um, give the supporters um, something to cheer about. But it's, um, it's going to be a tough one. Going to be a tough one, but really looking forward to it. Because after Warminster, we've got three more games to finish the season. And, I mean, we're coming up against some sides, that you know, two of which we've beaten, actually, um, this season. So it, what is your target now? Is it about the performances you want to see from the players? Or actually, you know, are you set with the objective of trying to overhaul Bishop's Lydiard? Consistent with the way we approached it after the Longwell home game, we are purely looking at ourselves and the performance. Now, when we prep the games, we use every bit of information we can against about the opposition that we know to give us a clue. But, you know, we haven't got video footage of everyone. We can't prep like that at this level, but we do use what we can. And and so, no, we're not we're not putting that pressure on the players. It's not it's not like you can you know induce some sort of panic. Now we've got three games left and we've got to win them. We, we know we have to win them. And the players have gone on the pitch every single game looking to win it. There's been no change in that. Um, so the mentality is exactly the same. You know, we'll look at who we've got available on the given day and we'll look at the way in which we think we can win the game. And we just back the lads 100%. The results on me and Trev, we answer to everyone. We we back them as a group to go and stick together and do do what, you know, hopefully what we want them to do. Um, so, no, there's going to be no change. There's going to be no, 
of this nonsense of just you know oh let, let's uh, like I say rabble rousing. It's just to me it doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't think you get performances out of people that way. You just overhype things. Um, I got to get our players doing the things they're good at for as much as we can throughout ninety minutes, and we'll get results for that if they do that. It's as simple as that for me. And my thanks to Alex for his time. Now. Uh, we will move on to another one of those games that perhaps surprised a few. Um, Portishead Town entertained Welton Rovers a Green Army. Of course, Welton very much still in the hunt at the top of the First Division. And finishing places are really important for those playoff games. So I'm sure that the whole of the First Division was expecting a, uh, a Welton win. But um, Portishead had other ideas. They did, yeah. It was another another case similar to Mausel in the, in the Prem. Of a, of a yeah a team at the top dropping points uh, at the death, um yeah Welton gone ahead. Uh, Joe Garland uh, putting them in in front as I say. It looked like another three points for the Green Army, but uh, Porter's had obviously not had the the season they they probably had hoped for. But uh, yeah, good good uh, good afternoon for them. It turned out in the end, uh, Callum Townsend uh, rolling home a late spot kick. So uh, yeah, managed to to level affairs and uh, yeah that was how it stayed. A one all draw between Porter's head and Welton. Well, the main show in town, of course, in the first division is Sherbourne Town. Uh, they were at home to Oldland Abertonians. On paper, you would have made Sherbourne um, clear favourites for this, but Oldland made them work for it, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. This was, uh, yeah, probably the, uh, uh, the, well, one of the most dramatic afternoons Sherbourne have had in a while. It feels like they've, uh, obviously, with their ridiculous goal scoring antics, they've been. Uh, putting teams to bed pretty early but uh, it wasn't to be on Saturday and uh, yeah maybe signs that uh, the nerves do get to go get go get to everyone and they haven't suffered defeat uh, since uh, early October in the league I think but they did fall behind in this one uh, 14 minutes in Andy Nash uh, picking up where he left off in midweek with another goal to put Oldland ahead uh, but Sherborne did hit back pretty quickly after so to be fair to them they yeah responded really well Ollie Hebbard uh, before Aaron White then struck home uh, early in the second half to to make it 2-1 to to the Zebras. Uh, but uh, yeah, Oldland, as you say, really, really tough nut to crack on Saturday. And uh, they didn't lie down and uh, yeah, managed to get an equaliser. Owen McCallum uh, drawing them level on the hour mark. So uh, yeah, Sherbourne uh, again under pressure. Uh, but they, they managed to ride that and they managed to uh, come out on top. Uh, a 3-2 win eventually. Uh, a penalty pretty late on from uh, Anthony Heron. And uh, yeah, obviously the pressure as, as keep keep mentioning that word but that would have been uh yeah on him at the uh, as he stepped up to take that penalty but he did well finished uh finished smartly and uh made it three two and that was how it stayed so maximum points at, uh for, for Sherborne. as we enter the home straight you know the final furlong in the the first division promotion race um we can expect a bit of nerves to creep in we've we've heard of course welton there you know dropping two points at Portis head Radstock could only draw against Odd Down. You know, Radstock's still very much in the um, the playoff race. Sherbourne there, just edging their way over the line. Not quite a photo finish, but just mm. just making it. Warminster, a little bit more routine against Titherington Rock. So the sides at the top of the first division, a mixed bag of results, but um, certainly plenty of, um, you know, there's a couple of examples there of teams um, going with the form book. And then there's Wincanton Town. You know what's coming next, don't you, Tom? I, I'm fully aware. I can hear all these racing parlances that you're using, and I knew you were going to lead on to Wincanton. They had a good win, didn't they? Yeah, they snuck home. Uh, an 8-0 victory, yes, it was. Yeah, we'll, we'll, 
we may, we may brush over the uh, the fact that it probably wasn't their toughest afternoon, was it? Uh, an 8-0 win for them at home to Bristol Telephones. Uh, Louis Irwin, Connor Williams, uh, Matt Garner, Dan Quirt, Dan Dix, all finally back in the net. And there was also a hat-trick from Tom Richardson. So congratulations to him. But uh, yeah, pretty one-sided uh, afternoon uh, down at Wincanton. 8-0 win over Bristol Telephones. Right. <clears throat> we look ahead to the Easter weekend. Of course, we've got games on... Um, Good Friday, and we've got Easter. Uh, we've got games on um, um, Easter Bank Holiday Monday. Um, I think the real pick of the crop, though, Tom, are on the Good Friday because that's when we see so many of the of the of the of the derby games. So, um, which which uh, what fixtures have caught your eye in the Premier Division? Yeah, lots to pick from, but I've gone for well the one with huge ramifications in the title race, and that's obviously Tavistock. Uh, we, as I say, we will touch on the touch on the tables at the end of the pod, but uh, yeah, they they travel to Buckland. Uh, big Devon Derby, uh, three o'clock kickoff. This one, I think. I, I would double check that before before you set off on Friday. Don't take my word for it, but that seems to be the uh, <laughs> yeah the allotted time that I'm I'm seeing anyway. So uh, yeah, down at home as Heath, and uh, I've, yeah, I'm sure there'll be an absolutely massive crowd, and uh, yeah, Tavistock can take another step towards the title if they can uh, pick up a, a big win down there. Well, one team that really needs a reaction after those drop points at Wellington is Mausel. They are at home. They play Helston Athletic. That is an 11 o'clock kickoff. I think that's going to be one hell of a game because Helston will not be going there to make up the numbers. And if there's any chance that they can, you know, teeter their host's tilt at the uh, one of the promotion places in the Premier Division, I'm sure that they will take that. That game will be competitive. In fact, that, I think that that's going to be one hell of a match um, in the Tall Station Western League Premier Division. We go down now to the Premier Division. Tom, where uh, where where has your attention been taken? I'm going to go to Gillingham, and they host Sherborne, another another rivalry, as you say, local derby. And uh, yeah, this is Sherborne's chance to win the title at the home of Gillingham as well. So that'll be a a big fillip for them, won't it? And they yeah, as I say, tough game they had on the weekend, uh, but they've got. Got a couple of days to regroup and look look forward to this one. Uh, it will be a big game, as we know. But if they can pick up the three points, I think uh, unless my maths are wrong, I think officially they will be champions. So uh, yeah, big afternoon for the uh, runaway. Well, not runaway leaders, but the unstoppable Sherborne. Can they keep that run going? Your maths are not wrong. Oh. Um, I've got a spreadsheet. Change <laughs> told me exactly that. No, you're very good. Uh-huh. Um, well, of course, I could have gone for the El Mortico, couldn't I? Warminster Town play Devizes Town uh on uh, uh on friday the 15th of april but i'm not i'm going to go for the biggest game at this level um as has been said by many people and I, having witnessed many of them i will not disagree there is only one place to be in the first division in fact i would say there's probably only one place to be in the western league but you know i think mousel and helston might have something to say about that um welton rovers against radstock town that well the coalfield classico kicks off at 1pm at West Clues. There will be a monster crowd there. I'm absolutely sure about that. And um, what an atmosphere. What a game. What a history. Two teams fighting it out at the top of the table. So much rests on this. Could these two meet in the playoffs? Wouldn't that be incredible? Welton Rovers against Radstock Town. That's the place to be. Uh, right now, I, I don't. We, we have got games, as I've mentioned. We've got pretty full roster on uh, Monday the 18th. Anything particularly catch your eye there, Tom? That's worthy of comment. Well, I guess yeah. Touching on Welton again, they they do travel to Sherborne on uh, on Monday, uh, and obviously if Sherborne slip up on on uh, on Friday, sorry, keeping track of the days is difficult. Um, 
if they did, uh, as I say, if they did slip up away at Gillingham, then uh, yeah, Welton would have another chance to potentially uh, catch catch uh, catch Sherborne or, or pull them in a little bit. So uh, yeah, that could be a massive game. It might not. They might already be champions by the time that game. But I think that would be a yeah one to earmark at this moment in time. Splendid stuff. And I mean, the games do keep coming. We've got some really interesting ties on Wednesday, the 20th of April. We might get a chance to talk about them on uh, on next week's podcast, although, of course, people won't be necessarily listening um, um, on the on the day the podcast goes out. That's one of the things about podcasts. But, you know, one of the day we don't normally talk about midweek games, but um, Exmouth against Tavistock on Wednesday, the 20th of April is a game that's probably going to be pivotal for both sides. And I think I'm right in saying that if Tavistock win that match, then uh, they have secured their promotion um, this season and obviously the title of Tool Station Western League Premier Division champions. But anyway, you know, more to come. There's more. There's plenty of water that's got to go under that bridge. As we will now find out, because we're now going to have a look at the league tables, Tom. Um, I'm going to let you kick off by talking us through the runners and riders at the top of the Premier Division table. Very kind of you. Thank you. And it's, uh, yeah, as we've, as we've touched on, Tavistock, they are leading the way. 32 games played, so uh, four to go. And they are now 72 points with a gap of five. I think that has, well, yeah, it has increased. Obviously, Miles will drop in points. So Tavistock, 72 from their 32. Uh, you've then got Exmouth in second spot, 32 games played as well, which is, uh, yeah, it's nice for um, continuity at this moment in the season. And they're on 67, so five behind Tavistock. But obviously, they do meet in... Uh, a not too distant future. So if they can, uh, yeah, get within, get within three or whatever, that could be uh, the biggest game of the season, couldn't it? Uh, that's how it's lining up, maybe. Uh, and then you've got Mausel in third, 32 games played as well, which again is nice. And they're on 66 points, so six off the top, one behind Exmouth in second. Uh, those three are the ones that are battling for the battling for the title still. Uh, Bridgewater uh, in fourth, only one game left for them this year. They've played 35, and they're on 62 points. Uh, and then, yeah, Shepton up into fifth, as we as we touched on earlier. 34 games played for them on 59 points. And at the bottom of the Premier Division, um, Bridport, they've um, they've got four points. The most that they can get is 13, and that wouldn't get them to um, uh, to 18th, where Ashton and Backwell sit. Ashton and Backwell have got 24 points. They're two behind um, Street, uh, uh, who are on 26 points, and um, Brislington on 32 points. They've and played 32 uh, games. So really, the battle to finish second to bottom is, is it looks and it feels very much like it's between Street and National and Backwell. So uh, it'd be very interesting to see how that one plays out. Now, this is where it gets really exciting, Tom. You've, you've talked about the um, uh, Sherbourne, obviously, and, and the maths behind, um, well, what we know could well be the title deciding game. Um, so take us through the maths at the top of the first division table. I'll do my best. So, yeah, they are top. Uh, 37 games played. Uh, so, three remaining for them. Everyone's going to play 40. Uh, and they play, as I say, they've played 37. They're on 90 points. So, the max they could get, they could get up to 99. They would, uh, but, uh, yeah, one more win for them will do the business because Wincanton, who are in second, uh, 36 games played. Uh, so, one in hand. So, they've got four left and they're on 80 points. They're up into second. Uh, Welton, a point further back, 36 games played as well. They're on 79. And then you've got Warminster, uh, also played 36. They're on 77. So uh, they cannot catch uh, Sherborne, but the other two can if, if everything goes right. And, uh, yeah, Sherborne, uh, three points from the title. And uh, that could, could happen as, as soon as Good Friday. But, uh, yeah, chasing pack, uh, all setting up well for the 
the playoffs. Uh, and then you've got Radstock, who still remain in fifth despite uh, dropping points on the weekend. Uh, they've played 36 as well. They're on 60 points. And uh, yeah, then a couple more teams that have reached the 50 points recently, uh, Wales, Cheddar and Oddown. Now, for those of you who heard my interview with George McCaffrey, the uh, fixture secretary, you will know that the bottom three are, the, are not the places to be in uh, in the first division. Devizes Town can't finish any higher than 20th. Um, but 20th is still on. They've closed the gap a little bit on Bishop's Lydia. Of course, it's all in Bishop's Lydia's hands, really. They can still get as many as 36 points. Um, but they've got 21 at the moment. So Devizes Town at the bottom. They've played 36. They've got 17. Bishop's Lydia, they've played 35, a game less, and they've got 21. Then there's quite a gap. Um, of 11 points between um, Bishops Lydiard and Almondsbury. Almondsbury have played 35 and have got 32 points. Bristol Telephones have played 38 and have got 34 points. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's well those are the those are the teams that are, are at the bottom of the uh, of the first division table. It may well be the case that it doesn't really change uh, a great deal more, but every point helps, particularly if uh, it comes down to the points per game calculations. But anyway, we shall see. Right. Now, Tom, we've got a couple of other fixtures to talk about, actually, because um, we have been progressing with the old Les Phillips Cup, I'm very pleased to say. Yes, we've, um, uh, we have got two fixtures. This, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say this is breaking news, but this has been released today from the fixture secretary, uh, Mr George McCaffrey. Um, Cavery Heath will play Canesham. Uh, on Wednesday, the 27th of April, that's a 7.30 kickoff. And Bridgewater United will entertain Helston uh, on Saturday, the 30th of April, and that's a 3 o'clock kickoff. So those are our semi-finals in the um, uh, in the Les Phillips Cup. And of course, Tom, you know where the final is going to be played because you've put it in the bulletin. <laughs> it does keep cropping up, yeah. Uh, that is at Well City, isn't it? Uh, so that's one to look forward to after the... Uh, league matters have been decided, uh, but yeah, it's good to see how that uh, competition's progressed this year. They managed to manage to get it going, so it's good. Yes, and of course that game taking place uh, on May the uh, sat on Saturday, May the fourteenth. So uh, a great occasion that that will be, and uh, and uh, and a sure sign that we've returned to some kind of normal. Tom, thank you very much as always for your time on this week's podcast. Um, just in case any of the listeners haven't been. Um, following, um, where can we find your excellent bulletin? That is on the uh, the Tool Station uh, League official website. Uh, it's about halfway down the homepage if you want to go and find it uh, specifically. And uh, yeah, you can download that every week. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's rolling on as the season does. So yes, yeah, it's, um, it's it's on the website as 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 it will be for the remainder of the season. Perfect, perfect. Um, Tom, thank you very much um, for your uh, for your time today. Pleasure. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you after Easter. You can tell me about all the Easter eggs that you've got. I shall look <laughs> forward to that. Um, but until then, you've been listening to the Toolstation Westernly Podcast. <laughs>